0: Welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another, well, it's really an exceptional show. We have invited back to A Better World radio Buddha Maitreya the Christ. For those of you who listen regularly know that uh, Buddha Maitreya was a guest last year at this same time of Visak very special holiday and event uh, around uh, Buddha's birthday and enlightenment and passing, which all was said to have happened on the first full moon of May. And so it's in light of that that we wanted to invite back Buddha Maitreya, who I would have wanted to invite back anyway, because his message is powerful, his presence is potent, and very important for us here on the planet at this time. We'll get into that in a moment. Just a few things to say, because to say that I am interviewing Buddha Maitreya, the Christ, no less, is a very powerful kind of statement, and it meets with the incredulity of many, many people, except for those who have spent some time with him, or who have really reflected on the nature of what he has to share what he has done and uh, why don't I just say people show up by their works Uh, an interesting statement of course that comes from ancient times and perhaps even from his mouth in an earlier incarnation so just a few words on this this particular incarnation who I'll be speaking with today was born in Oregon in 1951. He was enthroned and given ceremonies of recognition within all the major Tibetan Buddhist lineages. And that process began when he was all of nine years old. Uh, Buddha Maitreya, as you would imagine, of course, is a meditator and healer, and has led thousands of his students and disciples across the world through a very simple kind of meditation process that helps to support living a life of harmlessness, nonviolence, which is a real fundamental tenet of his teachings. He has been established in an environmentally friendly eco-village in Northern California, uh, supposedly a very beautiful place that I do look forward to visiting when I can, and uh, his wife, Mandarava Tara, uh, leads the uh, organization with him, and between the yin and the yang, the masculine and feminine uh, properties and energies, uh, they have attracted a, a wonderful uh, group of people who are very dedicated to the same values of, you could say very simply, spiritual spiritualizing the planet and heralding in the Shambhala archetype and the Shambhala society that is a society that is based on the humane principles of compassion, love, understanding, the virtues in short, patience, those that we have all held dear in our hearts and our hearts know well. So, With that all said, I really would like to speak with uh, Buddha Maitreya directly here for all of you to listen in on and uh, participate in this wisdom and this dharma. So, Buddha Maitreya, thank you so much for joining me again on A Better World Radio.
1: Hello. Good to be here.
0: Hello. I'm so glad. It's so good to have you again. Hi, Uh, and I enjoyed our conversation this afternoon very much as well, and we'll pick up on some of those points. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, uh, because the advent of uh, your birth is so profound and um, kind of awesome for many people in the kind of conditioned mindset into which we were all born, in one way or another to varying extents, and our belief systems are either, you know, wide open or somewhat limited as a result of our birth and the conditions therein. Could you share with us a little bit, and I know that your uh, early life was detailed in a very interesting film, which I've seen myself a couple of times, called The Little Buddha, but would you please explain to us some of the lineage that you are carrying going back a little bit in time into the present moment
1: well that's a lot um
0: (laughs) (laughs) we have to start somewhere (laughs) okay that's a good start
1: yeah um more than what people know the my incarnation lineage is, is really 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 ancient um uh, you can look at the relationship of uh the teachings of Hinduism and go back to Krishna, you know, the lineage of incarnations that come from Vishnu, the incarnation of Shiva himself, the manifestation in incarnation into the Buddhaic relationship with Katama and the relationships of uh, uh incarnations that come into Tibetan Buddhism like Padma Samhava and Tsongkhapa, and and uh, many 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 more but the lineage goes from a very 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 ancient point all the way through to today
0: Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. earlier thank you for that uh, earlier you were giving me uh, in answer to my question about the relationship of the Buddha to Buddha Maitreya and to the Christ and how you embody all of that. Could you speak to that and what that is and how that came about?
1: Well, a lot of people um, uh, are fairly new to the the name Maitreya. They, they may know through Buddhism the, that Gautama Buddha stated that the next coming Buddha would be the Buddha Maitreya. And, you know, then there's a lot of New Age uh, you know, teachings that have come out in yes. relationship to Maitreya and the, the real reality is, is that if you have to really study a lot of the ancient text of Hinduism and you'll see that Maitreya Rishi uh, goes all the way back uh, even before the time of Krishna and was actually there during the life of Krishna and spoke with Krishna on the day that he died and mm. was the only one during the life of Krishna to actually recognize Krishna, so most of the written texts that are uh, passed on about the life of Krishna and, and uh, his purpose, it, it comes from Maitreya, and so throughout time, uh, the incarnation of Maitreya has always played a part in furthering uh, the process of the avatar because the avatar incarnates in aspects, uh, manifestations of. Uh, five or three or two, but usually in aspects. So the Maitreya incarnation is once known as the Ancient of Days. So it's, it lives throughout the entire process of all the incarnations and is always there to further those incarnations. So that includes Gautama Buddha. Uh, during the time of Gautama Buddha, there were five uh, emanation manifestations of Buddha, Avalokitesvara. Uh, you know, Amitabha Buddha, you know, the Jinrezi, you know, all these five Mm -hmm. manifestations, including Maitreya, were there to support the incarnation of Gautama Buddha and bring him to the point to where he would have full realization. It wasn't just him sitting there all alone. There was actually this collective embodiment of these emanations. And that's, you can find that if you really do read into uh, Buddhist texts you'll find that that was true. And so the bodhisattva of Maitreya was actually there present more than anyone else and was the one he actually spoke of in relationship to the coming of Maitreya. So the life after Gautama Buddha, you know, was Jesus. And it was in that life that Maitreya took incarnation and a new incarnation and manifested in that cycle of recapitulation, both the process of many of the Hindu reality uh, understanding recapitulation of lives, and you know by the time that incarnation got to be thirty and came back home, there was an enormous process of awakening that was established in Jesus that was not at all ready. People were not ready for that, not not at all. But the reason for it was because it was the recapitulation of Maitreya the ancient of days, who was able to have such a foundation of understanding and clear teaching uh, that led to the reality of the Christos. By that incarnation, the, uh, the level of initiation of recapitulation for Jesus was at the level in which the Christos was able to bring about a manifestation, which is one level, much higher level, but a higher level than that of Buddha itself. You know, so it was in that reality, that that uh incarnation that Jesus was able to uh, recapitulate the process of the Buddha, uh in you know, integrate that within himself and his life was furthered through uh reality of new incarnations later after that, which led into Padma the incarnation of the great exorcist that went through Tibet and created the foundation of Tibetan Buddhism, and, uh, mm-hmm. which was basically there as an exorcist. You know, uh, another really uh, incredibly recapitulated incarnation of the same person, Jesus, and Maitreya. You know, so mm. all of that uh, is the process of connecting the Buddha Dharma, the Buddha, the Christ, and the Father into a constant level of reincarnation and furthering.
0: Okay. So does this at all, Buddha Maitreya, connect to the idea that has been written about rather extensively of Jesus in India travels to India and the studying of uh, essentially Vedic, Vedic texts?
1: Yeah, Jesus uh, went to India, went to the places in which Buddha lived, taught, and uh, recapitulated that process of that previous life, that that mm-hmm. uh, level of that was created during the time of Buddha. But Jesus was the reincarnation, so it was more about... Because most people at the time of Buddha thought that Buddha died and then he doesn't come back because he became enlightened and went on to nirvana. Yes, he
0: completed the wheel of dharma and karma.
1: But that's the interpretation of students. It's not the interpretation of Buddha because Buddha then reincarnated and came back as Jesus and recapitulated and furthered that process. So it proved the process, uh, the Christ principle was to prove the process of reincarnation and the lineage of humanity in relationship to the incarnation of the avatar. So Jesus' spent mm-hmm. time in India, going to places that had more to do with the incarnations of Shiva and Vishnu and you know, Buddha himself, his previous incarnation. So there was a lot that was involved with Jesus in relationship to his previous lives in India.
0: Yes. It was always my understanding that the avatar transcended the notion of the wheel of karma. And if he chose to return to a material form on earth, it was through his own free will to do so, to work for the continued liberation of all sentient beings. So from that point of view, uh, Buddha Maitreya as Gautama Buddha, as the historical Buddha, so-called, then, as I understand from you, as Jesus, and now as you, in the form of an American and Native American half and uh, European half, as I understand, uh, you can continue to will your material presence back, your three-dimensional presence, as a, an assist to humanity Along its own evolutionary path, is that a correct understanding?
1: Kinda of, but not really uh, we all have Please. uh yeah, we all have um influences that are beyond us, yeah, and if you can imagine the planetary logos, which we would see as the uh the ancient of days the the process that I just talked about, that would be the planetary mm-hmm. logos. And the incarnation mm-hmm. of that the avatar planetary logos is under the influence of the solar logos, and the solar logos is under the influence of the cosmic logos and none of these are separate entities like you know different gods or something like that they're actually
0: yeah the they're essentially the in fractal relationship problem. are they would you right. say they're in fractal relation okay yes, please go yeah on.
1: They, they they all. One is much higher. You know, the cosmic reality, the cosmic logos, is a full, like Christ, cosmic consciousness. Yeah, it's a collective consciousness mm-hmm. at a higher level that's more present in relationship to God. But it, yeah. it's still under the will of God. It's not under the will of Jesus or the Avatar. The process yes, of the Avatar. The other way
0: around. Yeah.
1: Yes, it's totally based as an Avatar as a Bodhisattva which means it's in service to serve. It's not to uh, try and figure out the best time to come, not the best time to come. It's a mm-hmm. response that has to do with an invocation, evocation, that's involved with the earth, the solar, and the cosmic logoiic reality. So the process of the avatar is to bring about a synthesis within those three realities, that they're mm. supportive, and, and they're working themselves out as God's plan on earth. Yeah? So mm-hmm. it's the avatar that comes as a bodhisattva. So at all times, no matter what incarnation it is, it's always a bodhisattva. Yeah? And bodhisattva meaning that that there is no choice in the matter. Yeah? It's yeah. very much under the control of Dharma and the wheel yes. of Dharma and the working out yes. of time and space in its relationship to influencing forgiveness and compassion so that things that might have been done that are negative and holding people back that are a force of, of negative influence that veils reality can actually be transformed and transmuted to a science of the invocation of the avatar.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you have uh for our audience full recollection of your life as Gautama Buddha? and as Jesus, the Christ.
1: I have full recollection of my life as Maitreya and during the time of Gautama Buddha, and Gautama Buddha as an emanation of myself. So there, there's quite a telepathic reality about emanation that is different than most people can conceive. You know, like when you see the movie Little Buddha, you see three people in three different aspects who are actually the same person. So there is a telepathic reality about them playing out aspects rather than Mm -hmm. individuality. But they're still telepathically in rapport, and when you watch the movie, they're all having a recapitulation about the one person, Gautama Buddha. So in reality, they're all a manifestation of that Buddha as a state of incarnation in three aspects. So it was my way of trying to explain this reality of aspects to the group who made the movie, Little Buddha. I was the one who taught them about these things, and they put it all together as a movie, but it it didn't really come out exactly the way
0: I teach. (laughs) I see. But so they were consulting you about the formation and the content of the film.
1: They came to my darshans in London. I taught a lot in London, and they were two of the people that were the writers and the people who uh, introduced it to the producers and the director and everybody, they Mm -hmm. sat in the class listening to what I said and asked questions that gave them an understanding that about in Tibetan Buddhism there is a reality of uh, an incarnation of a being that is greater than the Dalai Lama, a teacher that is an incarnation of the Buddha himself, and that Mm -hmm. that took place in Oregon in 1951 and they recognized him and came to his house. So I told him that story. But I didn't say that there were three aspects. The three aspects came from the Karmapa because the Karmapa uh, in the new incarnation of the Karmapa about 25 or so years ago that incarnation or yeah, it was around then that incarnation had difficulty in its reality of the fact that it had three aspects incarnating. And I was fully aware of it. But the Dalai Lama either was not or did not want to recognize it. And Tibetan government simply will not deal with that. So I made it my form of teaching to explain the process of the coming Karmapa, who at the time was only around eight or nine years old. And they formulated that into the movie.
0: And you have also been recognized uh, by the major Tibetan lineages as, in fact, Buddha Maitreya.
1: Yes. Yeah. When I was nine, the uh, Panchen Lama, right after the Dalai Lama and Tibet was in exile, the Panchen Lama gathered two of his major students and sent them to my mother and father's house and, and told them that I was the incarnation of Buddha and it was really important that I go back with them to Kathmandu and take my seat and begin my process. And they really flipped out. Wasn't it all like a little, well, little Buddha movie kind of flipped out too, but at least they incorporated it into it working out. But in my case, it worked out like, you know, but I had to make it end right. You know, I had to make it end nicely for everybody. But in other cases, it didn't work out nice for the uh, Karmapa. And uh, in my case, Uh, My parents didn't allow it to happen, so I had to uh, come back into Tibetan Buddhism and meet all the Rinpoches and, you know, go through my enthronement after I turned 30.
0: I see. So did you seek to, not to go on about this, but it's just so interesting, uh, and I think our audience very much appreciates this kind of uh, detail. Did you speak with your parents about who you knew yourself to be? in some kind of language that they might be able to, to use a modern phrase, grok it?
1: They, that they I, might be you know, able to
0: understand? Really to
1: to yeah, they didn't want to talk to me about it. They uh they had this process take place and about four months later they received a letter uh declaring me as the reincarnation of Buddha and that they would like it if they would allow me to come back and and contact them, giving them, you know, who to contact and everything. But nothing ever came They never gave me the letter. They never told me more about it until much later. And my brother, who was there and witnessed the whole thing, he then uh, gave me the whole information.
0: I see. You know, just it it should be pointed out that uh, what is the story, you'll know it better than me, that when – the historic Buddha Gautama was born, and there was an astrology chart of his birth. It was that he was going to be uh, a great prince or a great spiritual leader, and his father wanted to suppress the spiritual leader so he would take over the the kingship, the royal position, you know, and maintain the political position. And uh, yet, reality showed itself, of course and he emerged being his authentic self it's an it's, there's yeah. some parallel here you know the yeah, suppression by the parents
1: to... same thing happened Excuse to jesus me? the parents were forced to leave and feel frightened to even say they had a son you know and where they came from you know so yes. and i had all these qualities and abilities i was standing up at 9 years old reading and declaring information that none of the Pharisees or anybody there uh, really understood. And that freaked my parents out
0: terribly. I would imagine. I would
2: imagine.
1: It's
0: awesome. It's just an awesome story, and I so appreciate your sharing at least some of it with us. This is Mitchell Dre Rabin for A Better World, and uh, today we are speaking with Buddha Maitreya, and we'll be going into another section of the conversation in a moment. I want to just let you all know that we have a free newsletter at our website, a TV, and it announces the various shows that I host. Here in New York City every week, A Better World TV, on every Monday evening at 7 p.m. It could be watched either in Manhattan directly on TV or through our website, a TV. So please tune in. And, uh, of course, our Wednesday evening show, A Better World Radio, which we're doing right now. And I know many of you listen Uh, in archive and that's perfectly fine but please share it with others because the material is rich and our planet, all human beings really need to hear a lot of these messages that come through this show so please spread the word so people can get the beautiful gift, this dharmic teaching of Buddha Maitreya so let's pick up then, thank you again so much for all of that so far, some of that kind of particularized historical information, and God knows I could uh, spend a show just uncovering and inquiring into that, but maybe we 'll do that another time. Um, I would like to engage you on the subject of the important the meaning of and the importance of Vesak, and then I'd like to also move into sort of the state of our world as it is today, and how your influence and that of your students and all humans actually can help to move it more into the direction of a higher level of of evolution. But first, if you would, Buddha Maitreya, speak to us about uh, Vesak Day, Vesak Day, and what it means and what we can learn from it.
1: Well, we all um, recognize, at least Buddhists do, recognize Waisak ceremony as a relationship that comes with the full moon every May and how that had a relationship with the phenomenal reality of Katama Buddha's birth and enlightenment and death took place on those same um, occasions, on the full moon in May. But the full moon of May comes and goes every year. And the problem is that humanity or our evolution does not see the day as a holy day. Uh, the, The recognition to understand life itself, to see life in a cycle and see the presence of life as something that is fortunate, you know, the, the process of the movement of the stars and the process of our breath and the movements of all the animals and every kingdom that exists is part of a process that has been going on since the beginning of our creation on this earth. And if we go elsewhere, we will not find this type of situation in the same way we do here. And when Shiva meditated and the avatar meditates, it is fully collective meditation. It's not just about that moment in time, but it's about how there is holiness in time. And Mm -hmm. that relationship in in the mind of Shiva and Buddha and all the incarnations comes across the planetary logoic reality of a cycle of time in May where the moon comes and its effect in transmission of the higher forces that's known as the father or the will and the the influence of Shambhala is always there during that moment of the Waisak and it's closest to the earth than any other time and that was felt by the avatar led the avatar into more and more uh, self-realization toward humanity's evolution and that process of the Waisak comes from, you know, historically we know Waisak comes from the Waysock Valley and Mount Kailash is the mountain just behind it and Mm -hmm. that it's connected to Gautama Buddha but in in a, a more of a historical relationship it's connected to Shiva and it's connected to God and it's connected to all the incarnations but it mainly manifests through Buddha nature so there's something in the transmission that takes place during the Waysock and the moon and the earth and its sacredness that a transmission from God, from the will of God, is closer to Earth than any other time. And that influence influences the avatar in a Christ principle. So that the Christ energy actually is even though it's a Buddha ceremony, it really is a Christ reality. It's a Christ mm. manifestation that transmits into humanity the Christ principle, which helps to stimulate the element that was manifested by Buddha when Buddha took manifestation of incarnation. That was part of the process of this sacred reality of life. So Buddha was basically on the wheel of Dharma, in the wheel of life, and all the symbology of his life was played out by him being born, enlightened, and dying on the Mm
0: Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And so uh, for us to participate in this, and it's a period of time before and after the day of, in this case, I believe it was May 3rd this year, uh, Mm -hmm. there remains the emanation and the powerful energy field from that day. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So we're still
0: in it now. In other words,
1: we are the point of it sits in the closest point where the Earth is in its full moon, it has its full moon, and that illuminating energy—not just the light that we see, but the the light that comes from God—is transmitted to us, and that at that point that ripples out and it goes into a seven-day cycle, three days before, three days after, and that very day, you know. So each one of those three days are part of the day that comes with the invocation, evocation that is the Waysock ceremony. So it kind of includes three days before and three days after.
0: Okay, got it. So interestingly, this show then would be uh, blessed, if you would, and graced by that uh, energy because it continues through today. So uh I'm I'm grateful for that. It's very interesting Buddha Maitreya because uh of course uh Buddhists generally uh I don't wanna just say academic Buddhists, but Buddhists in general do not refer to God but rather to Buddha nature and as the highest manifestation of sentient life and that everything has a Buddha nature. And yet, you refer to God. And many would say that that is uh, an idea that is not inside of Buddhist science, Buddhist psychology, Buddhist teaching. Yet, and others would say, yes. How do you reconcile what appears historically not to be a notion inside of Buddhist teaching? yet for you it seems amply obvious that god is an inherent part of Buddha's teaching
1: during the incarnation of buddha there was a lot of gods thousands of them you know little animal gods people gods you name it there were gods everywhere and right. all of these as in deities gods. as oh. in
0: deities that are also a lot of the mandalas will express the relationship of man to deity in this kind of way, as forces of nature virtually.
1: Exactly, yeah. You know, so humanity was basically trying to deal with what they could believe to be God, and in that process, due to the fact that they were in separation in their mind with God, then they had to create as many deities for every element or everything they could because of their mind. It was the way their devotion might work. They it it just is natural yeah but uh-huh. when it came to the incarnation of buddha that process needed to be released which was ignorance and to do that it buddha had to take on the highest skill of teaching which was to deny the major teaching that everybody was falling into and krishna did the same thing even though uh he presented himself as a, you know as god uh, but as the only god he said that uh he was there's three aspects of god and yet you could think that they're separate but in reality all of them are a manifestation of the incarnation of krishna you know so mm-hmm. in the in- reincarnation of krishna the process of time and humanity's relationship to all these demigods or a lack of god It required Buddha's teaching to be in a state for enlightenment for humanity to receive an element that would allow them to come in contact with the reality of God rather than a separate reality. All these demigods, they could actually penetrate their ignorance and have it become a more illumined state of consciousness. So we can go from where there are many, like even in Egypt, they had many, many gods and all of a sudden... They had one God. Yeah. And it became like a sun God, but at least it was just one God. You know, so that's an inherent process of the evolution of humanity is to go from Mm -hmm. all this separate process into an understanding to where we actually define the truth and it becomes simplified. Yeah. So for Gautama Buddha, for him to release that truth, he had to take on the stance of not following anybody. He couldn't follow swamis, he couldn't follow yogis, he couldn't follow anybody. And to do that, he had to present the reality of anything spiritual that people can come into contact with had to be illuminated through his physical presence as Buddha. That would be the beginning stage of God. That would be for Mm humanity. Humanity by awakening the element of nature to the reality of Buddha nature, made the the opportunity for God to exist. Even though God existed all the time, that was the opportunity in which the foundation of the existence of God took place.
0: Mm, interesting. And yet in Buddhism, so you
1: yeah, read Buddhism extensively. If you read through Buddhism extensively, you'll find God in there all the time. Yeah, If you read teachings of Maitreya, you'll find God in there all the time. Yeah, It just depends on the interpreter that focuses on uh, maybe Gautama Buddha and then interprets it and you know, brings it into only a relationship of Buddha and you know, that the relationship to God is not necessary because enlightenment leads you to nirvana and awakening away from samsara. All these things that are about the 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 belief system of what buddhism really is but in my teaching you know the the real truth is that it's the reality of the aspects of the avatar through its incarnation and that in buddhism we received the elemental aspect to be awakened by buddha nature itself which is a whole new teaching it's a whole new uh concept in which humanity can take so we're now basically uh, trying to deal with what the teachings of Buddha was, you know, let alone whether or not he believed in God or whatever, because it's in yes. the following teachings after that, after full enlightenment and thousands of years has passed, and humanity's evolved to a point to where they can receive Buddha again as Maitreya, it's Maitreya that presents God.
0: Yes. A couple things to uh, kind of recapitulate and consolidate a little of what I understood a piece of it, is that it's virtually an evolutionary step for humanity to have gone from the embracing of I don't care for the word belief in this situation honestly but say the embracing of many gods, Uh, let's say some form of polytheistic or polydeific uh, relationship to the divine, to uh, a one god, or monotheistic. That represents an evolutionary step for humanity. That's what I hear you're suggesting. And yes. that there is another level, uh, and that God is part of the implicate order of Buddhist teaching for you know thousands of years. And it's a question of, as you said, the interpreter, the reader, that, you know, when I first read uh, Lao Tzu, for instance, there's no reference to God, but I felt that God, even though I was born Jewish and raised agnostically, in effect, I kind of felt God in between the words. It was implied in everything that Lao Tzu was saying. And I could see how one could read Buddhist texts and come to that same uh, feeling that felt sense of a presence, yet there's also the notion of shunyata of the emptiness, and I have heard Buddhist uh, like the the ultimate Buddhist expression being that like the um, the parts of a chariot being dissembled in a way, almost deconstructed to that point of emptiness so even though there is a teaching of emptiness is form and form is emptiness, at the end of the day everything ultimately in its truest state is emptiness is there, and that seems it seems in my reading of that, at least historically, to be godless (laughs) that there is no god in that, there is Buddha nature but that was distinct from god
1: yeah, it's difficult because the the ability to understand God as activity, you know, as an uh, an actual uh, beingness that is in a state yeah. of manifestation. One of the processes of it is that in in Buddha's teaching, it's to help people focus on meditation, uh, change their virtues so that they could change the quality of their consciousness. And when they do that, they lower the veil, the amount of imperil in their being and life around them. This could take thousands of years, you know, due to the process Mm -hmm. of reincarnation. But that's Mm -hmm. what Buddha nature was to do, was to give a direction, a path, so that these qualities could be manifested. And out of that, the unveiling of the shell that goes around the delusion of uh, our material existence, that it literally unveils that and the element that's inside of us, which is God, okay. the element that creates us, which is God, is inside of us in a way in which it can only be recognized through a similar reality. We have to have some level of God consciousness in order to can, to have that come out, or we veil it. You know, we're, we yes. have all these different systems that go on. We're just not vibrationally, energetically mature enough in the process. And one of the processes of Buddha was to teach the reality that in order for this to really manifest, it requires the incarnation of the avatar. And in that form, it was the Buddha. And in that reality, when the avatar teaches, yeah, expresses from the consciousness of the avatar, It's coming from the point of the element of light within. It's not a a Mm -hmm. person like people. And that in itself instills vibrationally into humanity a like-minded reality where vibration can actually, the healing effect of Buddha's teaching can actually recharge the person to generate them into a place to where that elemental body starts growing inside of them. Which is Buddha nature. And that's mm. actually brought to the teaching of Buddha. It's not brought to them through a uh, student of Buddha. It's brought to them by the teaching of Buddha. The very sound of Buddha, the the manifestation of Buddha is a physical mm-hmm. elemental reality. Yeah? Mm. And any time yes. that takes place is a time when the wheel of Dharma is manifested into a closer similarity to God's creation
0: mm i see very interesting right okay it it begins so the the notion of as above so below becomes more aligned
1: yes yeah the incarnation of the avatar as bodhisattva is is a manifestation to bring that about to bring about the enormous distance between god and physical matter, and that it's the mm-hmm. go-between. It's, a, it's the light on earth that brings about mm-hmm. the mission that allows light to be increased on the material plane of this planet. And it, it is no longer far and distant. It has understanding. Its mind becomes incorporated. Its soul becomes incarnated. Its personality becomes ashramic.
0: Yes. I think one of the problems that we run into based on uh, conditioning and different forms of propaganda passed on over the decades and the centuries, if you don't mind my putting it that way, is of, uh, actually goes back to the Sistine Chapel and a lot of the Renaissance art that pictured God as a white man with a long, beautiful, by the way, flowing beard. And I think there has been a mental visualization of that that is passed down virtually genetically, certainly psychogenetically, generation after generation. And people have this completely anthropocentric idea of God. And so the use of, I mean, I'm over that, but I'm still part of the collective, and I see how the mind will bounce to that familiar image. And I think it creates a tremendous amount of confusion in people. Even the image of Jesus as a blonde, blue-eyed being hanging out in Sephardic Jewish North Africa, Israel, you know. Um the promised land. It's 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 almost like a bad joke, if you know what I mean, Buddha Maitreya. Could you comment on this?
1: Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I mean the
0: the process
1: one is separation of the incarnation of the avatar with God. Yeah, the 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 understanding that, you know, when the avatar incarnates, whether it be Jesus or Buddha, it's an incarnation of God, yeah? So mm-hmm. it's not about, not he's got blonde hair, blue eyes, or this or that, but it's about the fact that he incarnates. He's physically incarnated, and there must be a reason yeah. for that, yeah? For sure. And I'm telling people yeah. that there is a reason for it, and that that reason is that, that the avatar is the anointer, the one and only being that holds the present reality of the three aspects of God, the Trinity, in a physical human form. And that as that manifests, whether it be a manifestation of uh, direct teaching or something like that, it's that avatar that has the ability to omnipresent uh, communication, understanding, you know, talking with people or expressing things, that the... Uh Representation of the reality of the incarnation of the avatar's many incarnations shows the existence of God in itself that God is loving, God is kind, God is caring, God is here God is mm-hmm. why do we even think that God has some present reality with us it's because God actually is with us and not in yes. some pseudo phenomenal way you know so but we separate that into thinking that you know. Jesus was the son of God and maybe just a Messiah, you know, of some masterful form, you know. And so then we put other things on top of it to, you know, give an understanding. But we, my thing is to help people understand that there is the only incarnation, the one incarnation is the incarnation of the avatar that has the enormous relationship of Instilling into humanity the recapitulation of the planetary divinity, past, present, <laughs> and future, and <laughs> that that omni present it re- represents omniscience and omni essence. Who are you going to get that from? You know, uh, you, your teacher, your priest. You know, not happening. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have to go through the avatar, and when people have strong faith and are connected in that. There's a transmission on an atomic level, in the elemental level, that goes from person to person, and that's an awakening of the nature of peace, the uh, awakening of the nature that comes with, you know, the Christ principle. But it's nothing compared to the reality of the Christ incarnated, which would move the evolution of humanity forward in ways that no one could ever imagine, because it's it's actually there to manifest the awakening of the process of the planet in itself. Right now, if the planet is without that process, then they have to work everything out. The transmission of telepathy is not there. The transmission of uh, intuition, uh, telepathy, and instincts that come with the Holy Spirit that manifests through the avatar is something that humanity needs to have in order to further themselves as a collective body of humanity.
0: So, left on our own, so to speak, although I don't really believe that concept at all anyway, that there is a uh, tremendous uh, surrounding of celestial fauna and flora, if you will, from the angelic to the archangelic and beyond, Uh humanity is still in all having a heck of a time getting on its feet, kind of getting off out of crawling, the way I think about it, to standing uh, with all of the um, all of the unconsciousness, the greed, the violence that is perpetrated against uh, each other of the species through races through our relationship to Earth herself, our biological and spiritual mother in so many ways, are you saying that without the avatar, we will basically sink into the same domain as the dinosaurs, like what is referred to as the sixth extinction? No, because yeah. we're
1: never in reality where we're without the avatar. The avatar is life itself. The avatar is the incarnation of God. So God is always present. You know, there okay. it's not in our it's not in the uh process where we think, Whoa, it's coming and we did something wrong and now he's gone. You know, it it is oh, yeah. a process Yeah, it is a process that's constantly part of our incarnation. But our difficulty is that throughout time and, and it will be easier later as time goes on, you know, but throughout time because of a lack of communication, uh, propaganda, uh, control over the reality of the teachings after the death of the avatar, that mm-hmm. the fanaticism in humanity has a tendency to to put themselves in a competitive state so that they they want to compete with the fact of the incarnation of the avatar. Must, you know, there's something deep within human, certain people in humanity that, Believe like in Buddhism, they believe in Buddhism, but on top of it, they have to say Buddha can't reincarnate. Well, that in itself is what keeps humanity from receiving the blessing of Buddha, because oh. Buddha reincarnates. Time, yeah, you know. So until that process, until we get to a place to where we have the telepathy and intuition, and we don't follow uh, lesser teachers, you know, that teach us the thought that Jesus uh, ascended, uh, is not going to reincarnate, but may come through us through the Holy Spirit. And if he does come, it's going to be an apocalyptic scenario. Those teachings really get in the way of the reality of loving reincarnation of the avatar who's on the earth all the time, very patiently waiting his turn to get into the position in which you can help humanity in an open way. But that requires Hmm. us to have telephones, TV, movie, all those things, and and we are only in the first generation of that reality. So up until then, propaganda and delusion and control over politics and religion would be the main thing that keeps us in our veiled state. It's not that the avatar is not trying to or isn't getting here – But it's our lack of evolution in time and space that allows us to communicate a truth that verifies the existing reality of the reincarnation of the avatar.
0: Okay. You said something very, very interesting to me just now, which is that the avatar is always present and is life itself. So from that point of view, the avatar is... Uh, is it fair to then say the avatar is God itself
1: the avatar is the avatar so the avatar is the incarnation of God the avatar is a logoic which is self born but that doesn't mean that he goes oh today I want to take a birth You know, it just means that it's part of the process in which God works God created everything out of nothing that's logoic And Christ is just the reincarnation of that process of being created out of nothing, yet being everything. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes. By all means. By all means. So our job as humans, then, as we regard our current largely enslaved, certainly conditioned reality where we are uh, not expressing a huge amount of virtue. We are expressing a huge amount of disrespect and lack of understanding, or as the Buddhists would say, of course, the poisons of ignorance and confusion, lack of compassion for each other and for the planet herself, not recognizing what is, if you will, in the truest sense. Free of the veil, our job then, as humans, what can we do to rectify, to help evolve as a humanity, our current level?
1: One of the biggest problems that humanity faces is their fanatic nature um, their you know their process to um like you watch baseball, and all of a sudden now you're collecting the cards, and all of a sudden now you're this is your team, and all of a sudden now you're wearing a jersey, and all of a sudden now <laughs> you've got the name of the person who's on your team, and you really think this is like it, you know, and now like you're in a competitive meow. <laughs> relationship to other things, you know, and that yeah. instills in a person competition and separation, which is not natural. It's not natural. It's mm-hmm. unhealthy and it 's created yeah. by an illness that 's inside of people from previous lives that has to do with suffering and their lack of ability to receive the food the benefits the the ability for them to be recognized as fellow human beings with human rights yeah though that 's our history that 's the way our planet has been, and we 're moving slowly but surely into a healing state and i 'm here. And I'm working in a way that I can work with telepathy to help bridge a process of that, what I call the sixth ray, that fanatical ray, that that should be a ray of that has to do with an understanding of not religion but reverence and an understanding that comes with the instincts of morality. And certain qualities come, but... They have, certain things have to get, be gotten rid of. And it's a, a nature inside of humanity, like in competition. It doesn't really exist other than something that has to be created by humanity in their process of their illness. Yeah? You know, so my job is like a doctor. My job yeah. is to vibrationally overpower the influence that drives them on to be fanatical false prophets mm-hmm. false teachers mm-hmm. false kings false leaders they're they're being manipulated because of their fanaticism their process yes. is diluted because of their lack of ability to discern discriminate and simply fall into a reactive response and a desire body that is increased that leads them into uh you know a very slow Process that,
0: temptation. That,
1: yeah, it, you know they keep driving their big trucks and they keep, you know, wanting yeah. their fossil fuel cars and they, you know, they can't think ahead. <laughs> they can't really simply because of fanaticism. If fanaticism is released, it goes to reverence and it goes to self-realization. And one <laughs> becomes self-realized in a collective embodiment where there's no uh, competition. It's cooperation. And yes. the enlightenment yes. within us all through common sense turns us in the direction of doing things that are so similar together and making choices that what we're going to do is that we're going to heal from this process and we're all going to make the choices that it takes. And doing that, we're going to let go of these relationships with greed and fame and you know the, all the things that go with us destroying the planet.
0: Yes, I hear you. It's I hear that's you saying...
1: Yeah. ...and fanaticism that is creating the unhealthiness for the entire planet.
0: Yes, I hear you referencing fanaticism as well as identification with certain things like the jersey of the baseball team and then it's my team which also implies therefore it's not your team so there becomes that separation of and also an ownership of what's mine and possessiveness and it creates an entire consciousness that actually doesn't serve the whole. It separates out. And if people wanted, I I like to think that if people were enlightened, they could have a team that they liked and that would be just fine, but they would understand it and appreciate it in a detached way that they were involved but not identified, you know, that there's a distinction to be made, a discernment between enjoying something and being identified with it you know it's, it's a different world one wraps you up in, in an egoic kind of way and the other one lets you be free and enjoy whatever that thing may be uh, that brings us to a uh, whole area that you at your community uh, have been very much manifesting which is an appreciation of sustainability and renewable energy. And, I mean, you know, it's Buddha Maitreya, the environmentalist, he who is friendly to the Earth and understands how the dangers of fossil fuel and the dangers of continuing uh, walking on the Earth as we have for so many centuries that is exploitative and disrespectful. And, yeah, you know, you could use the word here, fanatical, uh, with money as the god, unfortunately, and power and control, which are just feeble ways, from my point of view, sad ways of filling up the void that people feel inside themselves, or fear is there. And you have struck out in such a, uh, a formidable and beautiful way that you're representing and modeling a different way to be on the earth. Could you talk a little bit? I mean, I know you love, for instance, you know, electric cars. Do you have a Tesla or a Prius? Is that it?
1: Yeah, got them all. <laughs> you got we them have all. A Tesla. We have, uh, you know, the Leaf. We have the Kia. That's fantastic car. You know, we have. Uh, we had the Rav4 when that came out. You know, we've uh-huh. uh, been working. Electric cars for a very long time.
0: That's fabulous. Well, one day when uh, the company I work with is uh, ready to have one, I'll let you know when that's available. Which won't be in the far those distant two. future either. But you're, I'm sorry.
1: We'll get one of those too.
0: Yeah, you'll get one of those too. Exactly. But the point being that you have a uh, such a deep reson affinity with and resonance with. Um, sort of the new technologies that can really assist us along the path, and the use of the elements of solar and wind and geothermal. Could you speak a little bit about the importance of this to our planet and to our future as a society?
1: Well, we're finding, I mean, the engineers of this world today are all beginning to understand that there are certain things that we could do that would make the biggest change. And, you know, driving electric cars would be a great one, but we also have to have the batteries and the right motors, and and we have to have, you know, everything has to connect. And we're in process. The whole world is in process of doing that. More manufacturers are building these electric cars. And we're finding that the use of solar is a great idea, brilliant, enlightened reality. Let's do this. And so we're finding a lot of people working in that engineering level in order to incorporate solar to be incredibly effective, you know, for for both putting on your electric car, putting on windows on your house, putting on the roof on your house, and then battery systems that store that so that we actually have the ability to bring in so much more electricity than we would ever use so that it then is transmitted out as a grid. And yeah. we support the whole world in a grid by using wind, solar, and electric vehicles, and then going into industry doing the same thing. Yeah, you know. So, and and once we lose fanaticism to the greatest degree, and move because you can't have fanaticism and reverence at the same time. If mm-hmm. if you're going to choose a car, if you're going to choose solar, it's something about reverence that's awakening in the person that helps them see clearer and allows them to let go rather than continuing living within the the confines of humanity's lower mind and decisions, yeah? yeah. Following that process of lower nature. That as totally. People I who are making it. these yeah. choices, making choices because they're actually adapting to higher nature that includes reverence is the reason as to why they're actually doing it.
0: Yes, exactly. I, I love it. I, in a sense, the technology, when it's elementally related, when it's renewable in nature and not destructive but constructive, actually helps. It's a reflection of the presence of their higher Hello mind, logos, and I would. And right, exactly, and it's helping to support the lifting of the floor, if you will, of their consciousness to a higher level as well. So. The technology they use is actually lifting. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's brilliant. When you look around, I mean, I brought up before Buddha Maitreya the idea that has been in circulation for a long time of there have been five major extinctions across the planet over the last, you know, approximately 500 million years. And, uh, you know, the dinosaurs, of course, is one, the various ice ages we have gone through that has led to species extinction, another, and on. And the study of frogs, interestingly, and uh, other creatures have indications to scientists who are very attuned to this that we are, in fact, seeing the symptoms of a sixth extinction. Uh, that's a heartbreak of the highest order of course because those of us, and I really feel that everybody is there on some level, veiled or otherwise um, loves humanity and loves life and that destruction that an extinction means is more than anyone can in a sense consciously bear so there's a part of us that wants to very much rally forward and and say there is hope and there really is a way through this incredible destruction that we have uh, wielded on the planet with the melting of the ice caps and the changing of the currents and what we call climate change and uh, we are experiencing the hottest uh, years ever on record um, and of course the, the climate deniers who are Really, really confused, and it's just all staring us in the face. In fact, California is in such a drought condition that, uh, you know, there's question about how long it will be a viable place to live. Same with Arizona, same with the whole southwest. Lake Mead is apparently becoming close to be be called a federal disaster because a federal emergency, I mean because its level is lower than it's ever been. And we're dealing with climate refugees. We're dealing with political and economic injustice so far beyond anything that we would have thought would be occurring in the 21st century. Yet, this is the reality that we are really staring down right now. It's really staring in the eyes of our own demise yet needless to say there is hope because there's also the possibility of call it the sixth epic as many people do that there's a robust amount of work being done on grassroots level all the way to the top of shall i say the avatar who is working you know tirelessly to change the energy and the mindset and the spiritual nature around could you comment on this? Because we're really at such a point, like perhaps never before, of humanity heralding in its own extinction, whereas before it was more outer variables that were responsible.
1: Yeah, there's a, if you study in science, um, in psychology, there's a study of relationship to plants that if you put a uh, galvanic skin response uh, test onto a plant and then you sit next to it and you prick yourself with a pin, you'll actually see the plant have a reaction. Yes. And if you sit there and start thinking negative thoughts, you'll you'll actually witness the plant losing vitality. And if you play music next to a plant, you'll actually see a plant wither away and die when the music is negative and impulsively negative, but if you play yeah. beautiful music, whether it be you know the '60s or whatever, beautiful music yeah. and a tone in your voice, the plant grows. The plant is elevated. You know, so yes. I believe that with the imperil that is on the planet, and the people who are building mansions, and the people who are creating false religions, and at the heads of state in politics and in war and military, where there is a fanatical process for them to maintain their, I'm talking fanaticism at the highest level, that yes. despite the truth, and they have to know the truth in order to be in that position, to be, you know, to, to uh, carry on the way they are, so... Mm-hmm. I believe that that influence that from all levels inside of humanity, how it's affecting and creating poverty around the world and how mm-hmm. it's affecting and creating industries that are violating our natural process our natural ability yes. to to uh, continue as a life you know that yes I believe that it's energetic ninety percent of this problem is energetic, and that mm-hmm. if it can overwhelmingly be shifted to where people began meditating and people began changing their reality of their fanatic reality, switching off TV and stop going to a football game and start doing certain Mm -hmm. things. But they're doing it because, you know, I started meditating and now I just don't feel the need to do these. I don't feel the need to drink. I don't feel the need to go to this game. I don't feel the need to, you know, follow this spiritual person who says one thing or another, and it opens us up to the influence that comes from the Holy Spirit that leads us down a path of, you know, uh, God, like, plans the way. God pretty much, like, will lead us out of this problem, give us ideas, uh-huh. inventions, further us into ways in which we can work this out, but only at the, the point in which it really is bad yeah the, yes. the process of humanity is pretty much like on a, um, a scale, and that if it can be increased, if the energy of light can be increased, despite how all the materialism is going on, and my work is to do that is to increase the energetic level of humanity. I'm not spending my time going out trying to get people to recognize me or you know go through all those kind of things, or even yes. compete with uh you know people who are high in relationships of religion. My work is to create a science that involves the healing of every element on this planet. It an an effect that can that can work an influence that is stronger than the negative imperil that is manifesting on the planet. And you know, building Shambhala, putting out the tools having pyramids all over the world. I mean, we have thousands of pyramids now all over the world with people meditating in them. We do TV program on a weekly basis that helps to facilitate people to meditate. We're doing things to move etheric weavers that I made that goes into the hands of children, goes into the schools, goes into prisons. It's this beginning stage to where we actually are dealing with this on an energetic level yeah where it is very subtle yes. and you can't compete against it in a relationship of mental philosophy you know yes. what I mean you yes, can't you know try and juggle words and you know make a change it
0: has to be it's, done not in man- <laughs> it's not exactly. manipulatable it's not manipulatable it has to
1: yeah. be absorbed, transmuted, and transfigured. And that can, right. the way I'm doing it is that I believe and trust in humanity to make contact with Christ. And that even in a process, if, as this continues, even in a process to where a miracle begins manifesting, where people begin waking up the next morning and they have a whole new life. Their <sighs> whole life is changed dramatically. And they are automatically receiving the blessings of these people who are choosing to meditate, who are choosing to use the tools, who are choosing to understand what's going on. It increases on the planet daily. Yeah? And after a while, it will go into humanity as forgiveness, as love and compassion and empathy, and it will release people who are actually creating that imperil to have a wake-up call. And tr- just like the people who made the regular fossil fuel car, there was a wake-up call that took place, and it didn't have anything to do with money. It had to do with mm-hmm. conscience. Yes. Yeah? And same thing with yes. nuclear bombs. It had to do with conscience as to whether or not we went into a nuclear war or not. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. And how we didn't have a nuclear war with Russia was solely because of conscience. And I believe yeah. that's because Christ is meditating on behalf of all of humanity in order to create Mm -hmm. the miracle of peace and liberate people from this process that is leading us down a road that could be very destructive and give us a planetary, such a sick planet, that human race and all others would not be able to live on it very well. And I honestly believe that it's figured and changed into a process where we, I believe that that can be transfigured and changed into a process to where we develop sciences that verify the reality of meditation and verify the reality of energetic medicine and change the loop that people are in their materialistic world feeling that they don't have the ability to make changes and include God in that reality in a real wholesome way.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's beautiful, I, I very much appreciate that it's that I, I feel in the role that I play Buddha Maitreya, I am subject to learning so much about the effects of climate change these days, on that level of the droughts that are occurring of wars that are star I mean the entire Syrian uh, war is a function of drought. Uh, people don't seem to realize. They think that it has to do with the president of Syria, but it, it's really not. It's that the, the local farmers on the land did not have enough water to feed their crops, so their own families were going hungry and dr- going dry because they didn't have water. It was a function of dehydration, and that's a function, of course, of too many fossil fuels and the emissions in the atmosphere, which are drying up, literally drying up our planet, and the misuse of the preciousness of water. I mean, you know, there's a whole chain involved here. Currently, and I would like to hear what you have to say about this, because it appears that things are getting a lot worse than they are better, despite the powerful effects of meditators, of spiritually awake people, of people with just, let's say, in contact with their own hearts and their own humanity who are working diligently on a daily basis in service to our planet and to our our humanity. Uh, nonetheless, we are facing something very real like the Trans-Pacific Partnership which is said to be NAFTA on steroids. And, you know, it's curious to me how many people who are involved in the spiritual life tend to stay far away from the very real impending doom? Doesn't <laughs> to sound too powerful about it, but that our politics, our body politic, are bringing us to. Because, just if I may say, in this particular instance, this would actually be doomsday for um, all environmental and health regulations. That we have fought for decades to get in place, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, on and on, other protections that we have, and this one treaty would just completely deep six all of it. It doesn't appear that way. here again are veiled you know veiled propaganda, um, but our own politicians who are being forced into a fast-track decision. Um you know this is very real world material reality going on here um are being influenced by the powerful uh, powers the industrial corporate powers that control the government and it will also be the end of democracy as we know it because our entire Constitution would be subordinated to a, an international corporate judiciary. Most people don't even know what the heck I'm talking about, even though we've done a number of shows on this subject of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But, you know, what I'm saying in short, and certainly I'd love for you to respond to the particulars here, but we're looking at a world, Buda that looks like it's getting a whole lot worse before it's getting any better. So your comments on this?
1: There's re- there's causal reasons behind that. There, if you take the Catholic Church, and everybody goes to these great big buildings and they do mass and they have their Christmas and they
0: they all yeah. they
1: for generations they've been doing this, but at the same time, little boys are being raped, you know, yeah. in those churches, and you know the imperil behind that in relationship to here you are. You're religious, and you're going in there, and you want to develop faith. You want to develop a relationship with God, and that includes trust. And there's a psychic level of it, and yet behind the scene, there could be shit going on that is so distrustful, so manipulative, that yeah. is literally causing imperil into people to give them illful energy, energy of, of misusing the fanatical reality of them going into that church and doing what they thought was the right thing to do. But at the same time, they could be hit by elemental forces that are coming from the priest, coming from the the foundation itself of the whole entire process. Then you can do yeah. the same thing in Tibetan Buddhism. You could uh, yeah. look into the process of in Tibetan Buddhism in the monasteries. There's a complete cover-up just as they're in the Catholic Church of the relationship of all the little children who become monks all get sodomized and raped at night by the higher lamas in the monasteries, and that happens on a daily situation. Even the highest Rinpoche's, when they're young, go into a monastery, and they're there in order to learn, and recapitulate, and be educated, they go through this youthful process from the time that they're 10 years old to the time they're around 16 years old, they're raped. Yeah, and it's a common practice. So,
0: yeah. That's still all going on to this, this day?
1: Still going on today. You can talk to who Rinpoche, who uh, is one of the most uh, respected of Rinpoche's in previous life. And in this life, he's, yeah. he's traumatized by the fact that he was raped and, and he heard the screaming of all these young boys throughout the monastery every night. He wasn't alone.
2: <laughs> you know, and it's <laughs> not
1: just in that. Place. It is really bad. It goes on everywhere. Yeah, so imagine, you know, you got all these movie stars, you got all these people, you got people giving the Dalai Lama an award for world peace, you know. But at the same time we're doing the same thing with the Pope, we're doing the same thing with all of this. But what is going on behind the scene and how is that affecting our relationship to this thing called reverence? We're supposed to revere. These are supposed to be reverent places. Yeah. That's not supposed to happen. And when it Correct. is happening, it literally, these are the foundation forces that collectively are supposed to be going out to humanity to raise people up and prepare them for the coming of Christ and save the world. That's their job. That's what they say they yes. do. But at the same time, this is true, and it is. Then our life, historically, Life after life, we follow these people, and we are imperiled by it. And now we're so fanatically veiled that we have a horrendous planetary process going on that we are unable to work with because we didn't get the spiritual foundation we were supposed to get through these religions. Yes. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because
1: we need a soul. We need a soul. We need a life. And when we go in there and we think, that's what we're going to get out of this. But, you know, how many – Sai Baba in India was declared God, but at the same time he would rape and and sodomize little boys every single night since he was 20 years old to the day he died. And he's known Mm -hmm. for that. Yes. And yet there are very few people in India even today that would say that he did that other than for whatever reason – you know, but they would just cover it up, and because of fanaticism, their process of following something that is so wrong and so anti-soul, you know, so imperiling yes. on the soul of humanity, of all Indeed. of India, millions yes. of people of India followed this guy. Millions of people of in Tibet followed around, around the world,
0: around the world,
1: around the world, and that's where the we're supposed to be receiving love. And that's not what we're getting. And we're having symptoms because of it. Our foundation of humanity is based on the the fact that the avatar reincarnates and has done it historically, but the representatives are misleading humanity through a process of taking advantage of it.
0: Yes. Very true. Very true. Almost, it's to the point that uh, it is almost expected that someone who holds himself or herself up, especially himself, up as a guru, is going to be misusing the energies available and the people available, if you will. And uh, that goes materially, and that goes sexually, and it's almost, uh, you know, there's an old joke in uh, New York, two actors meet on the street they say, "Oh, you're an actor too, huh? Oh, you too. Oh, what restaurant do you work in?" <laughs> you know, it's because they cannot do what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> they want to, but they don't. It's just sort of a known that actors will be working in restaurants if they're not, you know, a, uh, a Tom Cruise or what have you. And uh, you know, so you know that a guru is likely, not always likely to be befuddled by the uh, so-called riches and freedoms of the West, you know, especially those gurus from the East. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a unknown entity, and it's a sad one, and it breaks the hearts of everyone, especially because, as you were saying, Buddha Maitreya, that domain of being uh, somewhat of a bridge and a leader, a facilitator of higher mind is um the one of the highest truly the highest gift someone can give in the highest level of service and it's there that we then see the greatest sacrilege and uh it's it's just profoundly sad but it sounds like you have fundamentally despite how materially bad things are today unevolved let's say you sound like you have a deep belief and faith in the soul of humanity to move us through this dark period into a period of greater light. Is that so?
1: Yes. Yeah. The um, I believe that humanity has hope in their relationship of getting out of this, because I myself as Christ am able to witness the truth of what really is going on in humanity that's causing them their illness on all levels, their lack of ability to incarnate their soul, their lack of ability to benefit from the process of working together in cooperation and in peace with love as a manifestation of their, their real truth, yeah? which would include their brain, their mind, their actions. Yeah? So I, I know that all of humanity is designed and manifested for this particular reality to react and respond to the influence of Christ and God. Yeah, their problem is that they are so imperiled by the influences that have come from, you know, the the dogma behind religion that has veiled them into the reality of what has gone on in religion that that psychic energy Imperils humanity into uh just pretty much stifling them into moving forward, you know they just stick with little monetary desires and fulfillments yeah mm-hmm. so it 's my belief is that you know by the work that i 'm doing, the fact that I can get to this point that i can I can uh, be recognized by you know the uh, a lineage of Tibetan Buddhism that actually was directly in relationship to Gautama Buddha, in reincarnation, and that they found me and that that is something that's existing on the planet. So there is light, there is reincarnation through the process of many of humanity. So by my work, the work that I do is to awaken energetically the principles of the masses of humanity that would then overthrow the process of the delusion of the lesser number of people that are actually holding humanity back and causing them the harm that they're in, devitalizing them and creating the energies of illness, mental, emotional, and physical, making them dependent upon delusion. Yeah, you know. So the work that I do is is uh, profound. Yeah, the building of Shambhala, the manifestation of this work, and you know, and how it's I, it's continued. In most cases, you do something like this, and it would be very difficult to pull it off, to you know, to bring it out. But in my case, yes. yeah, I've been able to bring this together and uh, bring about the building of Shambhala and bring about the the continuation of. Working on a telepathic level, the systems, the things that I put out. If you can imagine the, uh, the influence of one individual and their lower psychic nature creating uh, people to desire things that are not necessary, you know, having a completely confused emotional body, a completely confused mental body, a completely confused <laughs> physical body, they're just making it through the day. Yeah. You know, and and you know, and sometimes they're thinking somewhat clearly, but they're still unhealthy in a vital way. So the the work that I do is revitalizing and changing the etheric field of this planet. Of the whole planet. Yeah? And the process of humanity is a hierarchical reality. They hold a soul that is able to be awakened if the right work is done so i put out these tools i put out i build shambhala i build a monastery i put it in a certain location on the planet and we have tens of thousands of people that are working with these tools and it grows exponentially every year you know so that in effect is in something that i believe is on a monadic level and that uh-huh. is, is healing the soulful level of humanity that's in a healing crisis right now because the soul is being healed. The process of the soul, my work, the energizing of this planet, we're getting electric cars, we're getting all these byproducts from the energizing of the soul. So we have a quickening inside of humanity that is actually a healing part of humanity that's not being seen. And that, in effect, I believe is going to be the biggest changes of humanity is that, you know, everybody is solely but surely is going to have the awakening of the soul. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, something that's deeply missing in all of humanity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all know we have a soul. But how do we get it to externalize into our physical body and out into the presence in the world? And I know the science to do that. And I'm moving Mm -hmm. through the process of bringing that science into effect for humanity to go through the process of being able to heal the planet and save humanity just at the time when it needs it.
0: Mm. That's so powerful. It's unspeakably powerful. And uh, this is being affected through yourself directly, through your heart and mind synchronized, I imagine, uh, and the prayers and meditations and visualizations that you do with those who are closest to you, Tara and your lamas and nuns and those who are on the premises, as well as I imagine that the Shambhala tools that you have are, if I may say, uh, like tuning devices. And so when you i know you have uh meditations on sundays and i'm sure many more times than that but on sundays i believe it's open to the planet and uh if people have those tools they can more powerfully connect to the energy of the meditation is that on target
1: yeah that's true we we are all healers we we're all sick but in the process of healing ourselves we we become able to heal others yeah and yeah. especially if we're healing the soul so all yeah. the work that i do is directly connected to the monad the soul and the personality nothing mm-hmm. is disconnected not one thing that i do doesn't include all of that yeah so
0: and the monad the, could you just define the monad for us god God,
1: yeah, everybody is the incarnation of God, everybody is the incarnation of the soul, and everybody is the personal externalization of God, everybody, Mm -hmm. and since that's the truth, then I don't have a problem, yeah, all I got to do is just keep going, you know, because it's just (laughs) a matter of evolution in relationship to the science that comes with the soul, So all my work is to heal the soul, simply heal the soul. If I heal the soul, I heal the physical body, and I make God present in something that is natural. We all have the ability to externalize something, see something that we don't see, that is veiled, simply because we don't have our soul healed. And if we have our soul healed, we can see God. You don't see God without you go. your
2: soul. It's so, beautiful.
1: so I'm not expecting anybody to go, oh, there's God, you know. <laughs> it doesn't <a little laughs> work. But if my work right. is to bring about the healing monadically that yeah. has a place inside of every living cell and every single kingdom and every, all throughout the so yes. I'm not doing yes. anything that's not being move through cosmically as the evolution of a time that is supposed to be happening. Yeah? So I'm just supporting an evolutionary thought form, you know, of the fact that we're all evolving into light bodies and going to manifest into soulful incarnations, and we're all going to have a monadic connection with the Lord, and we'll be able Mm -hmm. to see the Lord, know the Lord, and know that we're all the children of God. There's no question to that. That's the outcome, yeah? And right. there is that's a certain way that that can happen. And, it, and it's not through religious, dogmatic reality where people can come in and falsify their credentials and make people believe something that's actually dark.
0: Right. It's But it is through spirituality which people feel in their own hearts. And that's where the wisdom and the knowing is, I would say. There,
1: it's automatically there. There's, you know, it's there. We we're, we're, we can't be destroyed simply because we actually live etherically. We are light. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so God yeah. holds our physical manifestation, not our our will. Yeah. We reincarnate yeah. because God plans us to do that. Yeah. We don't plan to reincarnate, mm-hmm. but God does. You know. So we're mm-hmm. inside of God's creation. Yeah? My job yes. is to facilitate God's creation so that people have self-awareness of what I'm talking about. So their Buddha nature comes into a, an awakening that's moved by Buddha itself. Because yeah? we're all ready and willing to go with Buddha nature. The difficulty yes. is that we're astral, astrally aligned to lower nature. That keeps us yes. from the unveiling process and we're we're veiled in that process. You know, so my work is to and I know that it, there is no way that it can't happen because it's already in manifestation. It's just a yes. matter of time. Yeah? Correct. So in humanity's case they could see, oh gosh, you know, terrible things can happen and this could be our outcome. But in my case I see that humanity is on the brink of an externalization of avataric reality. And the avataric reality, which means the incarnation of the Lord, means that all people are the children of the Lord.
0: Yes. Yes. Completely beautiful. Completely beautiful and very, very uplifting. And because I was decrying my own sadness of how we have hurt each other, how we continue to hurt each other through our own ignorance and unconsciousness and the planet herself. It doesn't mean that I also do not believe that there is hope. It doesn't mean that at all. It's just I'm willing to say what I feel is, what I see is the truth of what we have done, the the destructiveness of that lower nature of ours. In fact, Buddha Maitreya, the name of the book that I am completing now, is called Sacred Stewardship, Awakening the Soul to Action. So that is testament to where I stand and how much I deeply appreciate your life, your life's work, and all that you are bringing to this amazing party called Humanity on Earth at this point in our timeline. It's awesome. And can people come to visit you and visit the uh, community that you have built in Northern California and see the pyramids and, and uh, you know, the the solar creations?
1: Yeah, it's a monastery, Shambhala Monastery. And uh, we are available. We we also, I mean, we provide um, really advanced levels of science and that uh, works with the soul and the physical body and make it available for people to experience it. And we provide meditation. And we also have, uh, you know, we have domes and pyramids and things of that nature that are not the common thing you'd be coming across at any place. You know, we are... Yes. Uh, well-designed uh, system here, you know, because it's a monastery. But it's when I say monastery, I believe the whole planet is a monastery. It's just that we happen to be working within the science in that monastery that applies sacred geomancy so that we can actually help to lift up in a, what's called an ascension process by helping to ascend the elemental process of the planet so that the elements actually begin radiating light that come from Christ.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. So
1: that's what the Shambhala is for, that it is the monastery of Christ, the planetary logos is monastery, and that in it, it has sacred geomancy that literally, penit- like acupuncture, penetrates the entire planet mm-hmm. and is effectively in the planet in ways that no one could ever imagine the enormous amount of energy that is manifested here by nature itself, just by sacred geomancy and the relationship of placement, how everything is set, and then the fact that it's a monastery where we put our time and energy. We actually are in the pyramid that's in the center point of this monastery, and we radiate through it, through all the students and anybody who come here, everybody who works with the tools and listens to the pujas that I put out, are all connected to the planetary ashram, which is the process of overthrowing our our de-evolutionary process. Because
0: in our yeah. evolutionary process,
1: yes. all sacred and divine, and we're all in this monastery, and there's one Lord.
0: Yes, yes. Beautifully, beautifully and elegantly put. I so appreciate it. In closing, before I let you go, I do think that the audience should know about the good work that you are doing and your organization in Nepal, Tibet, uh, India right now at the, uh, this crux, again, a historical moment of this earthquake, the worst in 80 years in Nepal. Could you just share with our audience uh, for a few moments, what, what it is you're doing there?
1: Yeah, Manduravattara and I both uh, have spent a, a good deal of our life, uh, at least the last 20 years or more, focusing on Nepal and uh, helping to establish you know, a, a good relationship with the monasteries there. And we've set up clinics there. We have three clinics that's... Uh, you know in one in Kathmandu, one just outside, another one in Farping, and we work with the process of helping uh Nepal in its relationship of furthering the light on earth uh, it's the location of the birth of buddha katama it uh it holds a relationship to Padma Samhava and uh, Mandaravatara and I's previous incarnation of being there as Padmasamhava and and Mandarava,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know. So and, and and during the life of Gautama, I was also there. So that place has a lot to do with uh, influences of sacred sight that we can help. And so we have really set up a lot there in Kabindu a lot of time and energy. Mm-hmm. And now that there's really this big earthquake that's going on, we have. We have relationships with uh, uh, a special clinic there that works with the people through homeopathy, and they're kind of central in making sure that everybody kind of gets taken care of in relationship mm-hmm. to other hospitals, other doctors. And, and you know, we have an organization to where we actually are set up there in, in the corporate way so we can easily send money there and where a lot of people can't. They can't really get their... Mm-hmm uh help into the 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 yes. places where they need you know so you have the channels open. We yeah. do and we don't have any problem of of creating a support system and no money's lost. No food is lost. Nothing is, is misdirected, yeah, you know, because of mm-hmm. you know the the way in which people really do respect the work that we do. Yeah. So we have a lot mm-hmm. that's going on in order to help that out. And we want you know, we have a website that people can go to, you know, and and that Please. has in it uh, a donation point to where you can donate for Kathmandu, and the funds go, can go immediately into Kathmandu and begin the process of we are rebuilding uh, some a couple monasteries that, that have been structurally. There are millions of people that are out of homes. There are people yeah. that, you know, the whole of everywhere, that place needs to be rebuilt. Well, the in-
0: infrastructure has been just flattened, you know. It's uh, it's yep. just so sad. It's just so sad. So many people are homeless, as you said, without shelter. And, I mean, I hear they're just beginning to get some shelter and some water and some electricity. But uh, as uh, uh, one of your llamas, Lama Daniel, mentioned to me the other day, uh, is that the Earthquakes actually continue of a slightly lower magnitude, but the world doesn't know it because it's no longer the same news item as it was you know a week or two ago, so they don't realize that these earthquakes are actually continuing as a as a near daily event
1: yes it is and and they're not little earthquakes the aftershocks are are like 5.5, 5.8, you know, so Mm. buildings that are already falling apart and they're not made well in the first place, you know, they're they're just, everybody's afraid to go back into a building and sleep, no matter where you're at. Millions of people are out of homes. Millions of Mm. homes have been devastated. Millions of people are injured. You know, thousands of people have lost their lives, you know, and there's very little of humanity in, in, you know, people who have much interest in this little place called Nepal, and yet yeah. it has everything to do with Christ, has everything to do with Buddha, and it has everything to do with the possibility of humanity being able to give blessings back to a place that's been giving blessings to the planet for you know, for thousands so of years.
0: Yes, exactly. That's such a good point. What is that website for people to go if they want to make donations?
1: Shambhala Healing
0: Tools.org. Dot org. Shambala Healing Tools.com. Dot org? Oh dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Okay. Shambhala. S H A M B H A L A. Tools dot yes. com
2: healing
1: healing tools
0: shambali healing tools excuse me right shambali yes. healing tools dot com and there of course is you know amazing images photographs of your community yeah. of the uh, pyramids of you and Tara of uh, your tools the tools as well that are available for people who would be interested in tuning in quite literally. So I want to just thank you, Buddha Maitreya, so much for taking this time and sharing with our audience your your love and your compassion and your wisdom. Uh, It's an awesome, awesome transmission, and uh, I know my audience very, very much appreciates it, as do I. And uh, please, everyone, you may take this and share it with your friends and others so this word can get out to yet a larger audience. So, from my heart, thank you again for joining me today on A Better World, and certainly you're doing so much to help create one, and uh, it is recognized, and it's deeply appreciated.
1: Thank you very much.
0: It's my pleasure. We'll have you on again Mm -hmm. another time. Okay.
1: I'll be there. Good night
0: now. Okay, excellent. I love to hear it. And when I come out... I'll be bringing a camera, and we'll do a Better World TV as well. I will be out well,
1: there. that'll be exciting.
0: Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye now.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Wow. That was just a rich, rich time of uh, so many different types of uh feelings and energies no doubt came up in you as you were listening, as I was listening and participating in uh, dynamic dialogue with Buddha Maitreya and it's uh, hard to even believe on one hand and it's staring us in the face totally believable on the other Buddha Maitreya the Christ that our minds have been so programmed to think that Such is outside of our ken. But when we go back, we realize that we're all human and we're all divine human. So uh, it should not be such a struggle to recognize that there is an incarnation among us. And by the way, if you have not seen the film The Little Buddha, while Buddha Maitreya made clear that it isn't A full representation, it certainly does capture some of the spirit of the narrative and uh, could well be something that will help people see the presence that is here among us. I think part of it has to do with our unwillingness to see our own divinity and we hold ourselves in the lower light rather than the higher and if we were to hire hold ourselves in our higher mind and higher light and higher heart, it wouldn't be so difficult to recognize that another being in the form of flesh and blood is in fact of a higher manifestation and is here to help facilitate this shift in humanity which is so direly needed. That point was made clearly several times throughout this conversation by him and by me. So uh, to whatever extent you can tune in to this incredible privilege and honor of Buddha Maitreya being on the planet at this very particular time on planet Earth, this amazing time of transition into our higher selves God knows we've been hanging out in the lower one for a long time. And it's really time, isn't it? To transit before uh we uh you know, our whole world goes to hell in a handbasket, as they say. Way better better to have heaven in a handbasket, I'm sure we would all agree. So please remember to get on our newsletter. It's free at a better T V and remember that we too are just recently, a 501c3, a nonprofit, a Better World Foundation Unlimited, and any donation you choose to make to us is tax deductible. So uh, we appreciate everything so we can continue our media platform and give voice and space to someone as special as Buddha Maitreya and uh, our other array of guests. Who are blessed souls doing amazing work on this planet. So thanks again for joining today, Mitchell J. Rabin for a Better World. And this will be a link on our website as uh, soon as tonight. And you can go to a TV and uh, go into radio archive and click it and send the link to all corners of the world of people who you feel can be enriched and ought to hear this ultimately very inspiring message. There is hope, and we heard that from the highest teacher, perhaps the very highest teacher on the planet itself. Thanks again for joining, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.